thank you for all that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, we are second week into this series. Morning, Jen. <laughs> Oversleep? I'm just kidding. Anyway, but we... <laughs> Uh, we were a second week into this series, and uh, I thought it was a four-week series when I woke up this morning, then I read my notes, and it was five weeks. Sorry. So, anyway. Um, but um, if you were here last week, we challenged you um, to memorize a couple of short passages of Scripture, and, and I want to practice those out loud together. You should have gotten a card as you walked in, a little little card with these verses on there. Um, the first one being Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I want to just read these out loud and let's read them out loud together. All right. Ready? One, two, three. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Great verse. Great verses, I should say. Uh, the second passage is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Let's start. One, two, three. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast uh, in any work created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good job. You did better than me. Um, But for the next coming weeks, what I'd like you to do is put that little card someplace prominent. You know, if it's in your wallet that you pull out all the time or on the dashboard of your car or stick it on your mirror or whatever have you, just stick that someplace and and try to memorize these verses. You know, don't worry if you don't get it perfectly. Just be in the process of getting it, uh, you know, imprinted on your brain, right? And and let's see what, what the Holy Spirit does as a result of hiding his word in our hearts. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good practice. Uh, today, I want to start out with 2 Corinthians three sixteen through 18. Really interesting passage. It says, when en- whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So a veil of your face, right? A veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen, right? And we all with unveiled faces contemplate, important word right there, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So there's a process here of our being spiritually formed in Christ, right? We're changing, we're being, we're actually being changed as Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about it. And you notice that that little set of verses really reflects Ephesians 2 and Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? It, it, it reflects those verses that we are uh, memorizing together. And what, what we also notice is that as we turn to Jesus, as we give our lives to him, a veil is taken away from our hearts. A veil is taken away from our hearts. And Paul's referring, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but he is referring to the veil that, was, that Moses wore over his face uh, in front of Israel to hide his glowing face after he met with the Lord on Mount Sinai, if you remember that, way back uh, in the Old Testament. And we might, for our purposes, we might think of that as a veil which keeps us from being known of, uh, uh, of who we really are, for our for who we, are, we really are, 
as well as a veil which keeps us from knowing God more deeply. And I would even add that even knowing others uh, more clearly from being in the presence of the Lord, right? So remembering our two passages that we're memorizing, uh, remember what's been done in us, Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans 12. It uses the same language here. The veil is taken away, right? It's been done for us. And in that, we gain the Spirit of God who brings us freedom. He brings us freedom in both being fully known by God and fully knowing God and giving us us an increased ability to connect with others in community, in in the family of God, right? Which is to say, if you were here last week, you'll remember this, that we have nothing to prove, that we're secure, right? that we're secure in our relationship with God, and therefore we are secure with others. We don't have anything to prove to each other or to anybody out there. And as our identity is established in Christ, the Spirit over time transforms us into His image, into His likeness. This is profound stuff. This is really stuff that the church, church with a big C, everybody, right, needs to be thinking about these days. And our part, just like Romans 12, 1 and 2, our part is to submit to the process through contemplation. What is contemplation? Contemplation means just simply that we look thoughtfully and thoroughly at the Lord for a long time, that we gaze upon him, right? And let me say really clearly that the deeper Christian life the deeper Christian life can't be had without this, right? It can't be had without the contemplation of the Lord, which is why what Jen said last week was very, very important it was about solitude and silence. It's just so vital that we spend that time with the Lord, practically carving out those times during our day where we contemplate the Lord's glory, that we allow the Lord to speak to us, In meditating on what's been done for us, there's a change that is wrought in us which we couldn't bring about ourselves. It, It really is sort of magical in a sense, what God does in our hearts. So spiritual formation, our definition, you'll remember from last week, is the process of being formed into the likeness or the image of Christ. So we endeavor to become people of compassion, of truth, of forgiveness, and people of care. Living out of grace, offering the message of Jesus to the world through love and service. People of truth and love, right? People of truth, both truth and love. You know, since love without truth lies, listen to that, love without truth lies. That's the uh, sort of progressive movement of Christianity, right? It reduces Jesus to like sort of a stuffed animal that you rub his belly and you say, can I do this? Well, he didn't object. I can do it, right? It's just, it has no truth to it. It has no teeth to it. True, you have to have love and truth together. You know, and truth without love kills. 
And that's the extreme sort of, lack of a better term, conservative movement of Christianity, right? Those, those hard nose. Like, it's like the Christian that holds truth on a, on a big chain like a pit bull, right? And when you get something wrong, they let it go. Go get them, right? And they just chew you apart. There's no compassion. There's no understanding. There's no softness. There's no love. There's no gentle direction, right? So truth without love uh, kills. Lo- uh, love without truth lies. But we, as people that are being spiritually formed in Christ, we want to be something uniquely and totally different. Holy and pleasing to the Lord, right? Strangely attractive to others. Drawing people back to Jesus, uh, who, is in, who is found not just in the middle of extremes, but wholly different than the extremes. In short, we become what we were originally created to be in Christ. And to become like Christ, by the way, is to become, become the best possible you that there ever could be. I said last week, if you think you've arrived, you haven't. (laughs) That's a good sign. When you think you've arrived, that's a good sign that you haven't arrived, right? We're always being transformed into Christ's likeness, right? And, And it's to become the best possible you that God created you to be. Our culture values individuality to stand apart, right? To be uh, uniqueness in our personal expression, right? I'm an artist. That's, that's the language of the artist, right? But in becoming unique, you always end up sort of melding into some sort of subculture of community, right, of of our society, right? Hipsters and hippies and hip-hop fans and, you know, bikers and cosplayers. And I have a friend who dresses up all the time, you know, all this kind of stuff. Social activists who, you know, wanting the things of the kingdom but without the king, whatever it may be. And what we see right now is that politics in America has become the new religion. Has it not? It is the new religion. And Christians who are not thinking and not growing more deeply in Christ, Christians stand in the danger of defining faith through all of that, which ultimately divorces Jesus from the conversation on either extreme. It's antithetical to what you set out to do. You're not really unique, right? You're not really unique. You're just like everybody else with your own sub, within your own subculture or your own political ide- ideology. No originality. You can still be categorized. You can still be sorted just like everybody else. We naturally gravitate to community. We always do because it's how we were created to be. Maturing Christians being formed into the likeness or the image of Christ do not deny that we unify, we unify together under, the, under Jesus with shared beliefs and even as some accepted behaviors. We aren't afraid to be categorized. We just want to be categorized in Jesus. That's where I want to be identified with Jesus and nothing else. Right? And in that uniformity, we find our own personal identity come to light in full color. I really find out who Jason is with you and with the Holy Spirit guiding my life. And we even see throughout Scripture that God highly values all the various cultural expressions of humanity. Right? 
He doesn't say they're all bad and they've all got to come into one, you know, homogeneous look, right? In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, another set of verses you should have memorized last sermon series. He calls us to reach all of those different people groups. He calls them nations. They're all ethnic groups, right? Not to conform them to a suit and tie wearing sort of Western church culture. That's not our goal. But rather to that they would express Jesus within their own uniqueness of their own cultural context. And it's only, we find, it's only in submission to Jesus that we find our own true unique identity. If you're looking for it anywhere else, you're not really going to find it. Uniqueness through the conformity to Christ. Vinny, who's normally our, by the way, MJ, amen. Good job this morning. Where, I don't even know where she is. There she is. And Asher, how old are you? Nine years old, up here singing on the stage. I would not have done that when I was nine years old. If, so, if my mom said, I want you to sing on the stage with me, I promptly would have wet my pe- pants and ran to my room. There's no way I would have done that. Amen to you, brother. You are, you are pretty incredible. But Vinny, who's usually up here, is wor- our worship leader, you know, is, is you, he's a unique minister of Christ among you, right? Uh, he is very different than me. You know, we, uh, you know, Vinny can't do what I do, and I can't do what Vinny does, right? Uh, I'm not Vinny. Vinny isn't me, right? You, that's obvious. I have a lot of hair. He has not. <laughs> He's not here, so I can focus on him. <laughs> yeah, Joe. Joe as well, right? Oh, I got my digging on Joe. Amen. <laughs> See how the Holy Spirit always brings it back, right? Yet both Vinny and Jason can build each other up through the heart of Christ that we both share, right? The compassion, the love, the holiness, the purity of Christ, which brings us both true freedom in Christ to be who we truly are in community together. Likewise, a group of Lampungese Christians in South Sumatra, Indonesia, where I served for nine years, they don't express themselves in the same way that we do in worship here in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. There may be similarities. They worship the same God. They, they, they read from the same scriptures, but it will be unique to them, right? It'll be a different style of worship, and that's okay. That's great. That's wonderful. The image of Christ is the fulfillment of the deepest, deepest hunger of the human heart for wholeness. We're all trying to be whole, right? We're all trying to work towards that. And that is our deepest longing of our heart. All outward things that we seek to give us value or worth or purpose are just band-aids. They don't really work. They're unequipped to bring us wholeness whether they be issue or pleasure, whatever they be. Only Jesus can make us whole in ever-increasing glory, as it tells us, out of which our true individuality can be seen as it fits into the community of God. And that, by the way, is individuality, not for its own sake, but for the sake of Christ among all peoples, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That's why 2 Corinthians speaks of unveiled faces. It's a revealing, right? 
Faces which in our own unique uh, you know, way and through the body of Christ reflect Jesus' glory to, the, to all those other people out there. To submit ourselves uh, more deeply to the transformative hand of God is to bring compassion instead of indifference, forgiveness in place of resentment, kindness in place of coldness, openness in place of protective defensiveness or manipulation, a life to live for God and not for self, right? And the Spirit unveils us as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we're changed into his likeness. And that, that is to the end as described in Ephesians 4.13, which says, until we, reach, we all reach unity in the faith, And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Spiritual maturity, spiritual formation. And this process involves taking off the old self, right, with all its practices and putting on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. That's Colossians 3, 9 through 10. So notice the similarities between the verses that we're memorizing together, but also notice the prominence of the knowledge of God in these verses, right? One of the greatest avenues of gazing on the nature of Christ is, to, is through the Scriptures, through hiding God's Word in your heart. This is why we have quiet times. This is why we have sermons. This is why we have community groups which on Tuesday night is the best community group, right? And <laughs> this is why we just memorize Scripture. It's not just a rote exercise. It's to hide something in our hearts that actually transforms us. And Paul takes us further into this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And that says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That sounds nice. And that passage is a powerful affirmation of the nature of your true being in Christ. Our unique value in the eyes of God. He's not saying that God chose some and not others. The, world cho- the word chosen here is actually translated as spoken forth. So he's alluding back to the creation account where God spoke forth creation, spoke forth humanity, right? He knew us even before time began. He thought about you at that moment. He had me and you in mind even at that time. And that's how valuable you are in the eyes of God, which means you are no mistake. Amen, right? Sorry, I'm yelling at you. (laughs) I'm just very excited. 
Even if you feel, feel like you have no value, feelings are not always facts, right? That is not how God regards you. At great lengths, he spoke you forth. He created you. Way back then, he spoke you forth to be holy, which is to be completely whole in the nature of your being. He spoke you forth way back when to have complete integrity in your life or to be blameless in how you live your life, to reflect him. And to accomplish this world, like wonderful, worthy task of forming your life, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's given you everything that you need. So play back the internal tapes in your head of your life. What have people said to you? <laughs> right? Have they been encouraging about who you are or have they belittled you? I'm sure we've had both in our lives. But just like advertising, you never remember the positive comments. You always remember the negative, right? It spreads like wildfire. We, we might remember the encouragers, but we definitely remember those who have left words of, on our souls which may st- we may still live out of today that are harmful. Maybe you even still have those kinds of people in your life that speak to you like that right now, those who can't seem to do anything but speak down to you and hurt you with their words. And when that happens, when that happens, think back to this passage and remember, Jesus had me in mind before the beginning of time and he spoke me forth at creation. I am of highest, highest value because he says that I am. Not that I'm some special little thing that you all have to worship yourselves, right? But I am of high value because he says that I am. I am set apart. I am holy. I am blameless. I am unique and gifted in his character. I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Amen to that. And as you grow more deeply in your understanding of, of your positional worth in Jesus Christ, those people, those negative people in your life, they have less and less control over your heart as they sort of fade into an inaudible murmur in your past. They don't have any more power. It's not that we hate those people, but we definitely don't want to live out of that identity. And there may be a time in your history when you didn't realize any of this. You didn't have Pastor Jason screaming it at you on a Sunday morning. When your destructive life was normalcy. Maybe today is the first time that you've ever heard of your great value in Jesus. All of us at one point lived with that, uh, without this light, Right? But Paul says that God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That's what Paul proclaims over us. So what that tells you is that your worth is ascribed, given from the outside. It's ascribed to you by God, not anybody else. 
His grace freely given to you in Christ. And now you're a child of God with full rights as children. All of the inheritance is yours. And even when we choose to live out of our brokenness and our incompleteness, or in other words, the old self, there's no changing this fact. It doesn't change because God is faithful. God is with us even in the darkest places of our existence. That's where compassion and understanding come in. Even in those places that no one else knows of, of you, Your past doesn't define you. Neither do your moral stumbles in the present. Jesus defines who you are, your being. And where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Jesus brings forgiveness and liberation and healing and cleansing of all that would keep us from knowing Him more deeply. And our part, in this whole process, is to lay ourselves down on the operating table and, uh, uh, of our souls and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in us. That's spiritual formation. But as Christians, as people, we often come to our walls in this process. We practice the Christian life. We think so well. We do it as best we can. We go to Joe's community group. We have a quiet time. We pray. We practice the silence thing that Jen talked about last week. We do all these things so well only to realize later that we're actually becoming proficient at play acting and looking good to others. We come to church in our Sunday best, but our minds and our hearts are far. And suddenly all the spiritual tricks don't work anymore. And then we understand. Then passages come to light. We understand what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7, which we looked at last week, where he said, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That's a little spooky. It's a little bit spooky. And, by the way, it should be a little spooky. A little bit scary. That's okay. It should jar you to think. Here's Jason's translation. Get away from me, all you play actors, all you attention seekers, all you who want the kingdom benefits without the king. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Jesus is patient and grace-filled with his children who fall into these traps. He will not cut us off. That's not what I'm saying. But he does not desire for us to live there in play acting. He wants to take us deeper. It's the wall of self. It is, it is what I find that even in the good things of the Christian life, I can put myself before Jesus. And those who continue on with Jesus past this wall of self realize that I'm doing this all for me. 
I have to let Jesus into the deeper, darkest part of my heart to fully find freedom and healing. That's why if you say you've arrived, you haven't arrived. That's a sure sign that you've got some pride to deal with, right? So we climb once again, another day, we climb again upon the operating table and we submit ourselves to the great surgeon of our crooked hearts. We allow him to do his work. Now others give up at this point. They walk away. Or they continue to play act, never getting to the deeper life. And that's a shame. The Spirit of God continually assaults or confronts those things in our hearts which stand in the way of the deeper journey of faith. And by the way, those are costly moments to us. Anything worth anything is worth the cost, right? Those are costly moments to us. They mean self-denial, an unpopular term in American society these days. They mean self-denial, and they mean exposure to the inner private things that we want no one to see. The hurt places where we flinch when we are touched. And what we find is that our brokenness, our incompleteness and our brokenness is much more of our identity than we would like to even imagine. We've met the enemy and he is us. He, I am what stands in the way, <laughs> right? We are saved by grace through faith once and for all in Jesus. It's the work of God and salvation. That is a solid truth. But the ongoing life of true spiritual formation is our constant realization that there are parts of us which we have reserved from becoming formed in him. And they are so intimate. They are so part of who we are. And Jesus wants to change them. Constantly, he calls us to take up our cross one more time, to crucify that old self and fight deeper ongoing renewal. And by the way, our cross is never outside of ourselves. It's never outside of ourselves. Your circumstances, it's, that's not your cross. It's not somebody else. It's not some outward hardship. It's not because you don't have enough money in the bank or your card needs to be fixed. It's always these internal parts of ourselves that we've not yet yielded to Christ's healing life. So our transformation in Christ always confronts these places where we're still unlike Jesus. And in this vein, I've often felt, why me? Why me, Lord Jesus? Why are you coming at me like this? Why again? Do I have to go through this again? I thought I was beyond this. I thought I was better than this. Doesn't it get any easier? Doesn't the Christian life get any easier, Jesus? And the answers to both of those, or all of those questions are, why not me? What makes me so special? Right? Yes. Again, until we're done with the work in your heart. No, Jason, you're not fully beyond this. And yes and no, it does and it doesn't get easier. 
<laughs> Say that with a smile. Not to bring you down. As a matter of fact, I make it hard by trying to run like Jonah did, right? Trying to run from the call of Christ on my heart. To avoid Christ's gaze on my inner soul. Or I make it easier by facing it in faith. By trusting Jesus. Walking through it. Trusting him that he will take me through to the other side of my pain. The other side of my fears. To get to something greater. To the increased glory of his image in my life. Like Joshua did before the walls of Jericho. Seems so daunting. Seems like I'll never get past those things. But he can take me through. And when I'm standing before a wall, it always helps me to think about Moses standing before the burning bush when God said to him in Exodus 3, 5, take off your sandals. This is a great image. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. It's holy ground. The dirt of my soul is holy ground in which God wants to claim for his own. He's Lord of my life. So using my God-given imagination, which is another spiritually formative tool, I take off my sandals in my head. Sometimes I even do this physically. I get barefoot and I bow down in my bedroom at home. And I grasp handfuls of my own dirt and I say, here's my heart, Lord. Do with it as you will. Consecrating myself in this way before God to move past my internal wall of self and onto deeper levels of his image in my life. That's what I have to do. It's called being a Christian. It's called getting closer to Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. And by the way, those moments are often long and protracted, those, change, those changes. We're often not transformed in the blink of an eye in an instant. We have to come back to these things, uh, this, these places again and again, giving it over again to Jesus as we're transformed over a long period of time. Spiritual formation is a slow bake. It is a slow bake. Every day, I've got to take this time to climb back up on the operating table of my soul, allowing the Spirit to cut into me with the scalpel of His Word, you know, bringing healing, bringing transformation to old wounds in order to move forward. So let's read again our central passages. 2 Corinthians three sixteen through 18. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, turns to the Lord and away from other things, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So turning away from the things that imprison us, turning towards Jesus brings us freedom. And we all with who unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in Christ... You are fully known and can fully know God. He's brought you freedom. 
He's offered it, right? As we contemplate him, as we think thoughtfully on him for a long period of time, we are transformed into his image. Only in Jesus do you find your unique identity and become the best possible you in community with others that you can be. And the second passage, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You were spoken forth at creation. God has ascribed value to you as a person in this world. You are his child, showered with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And one of your first steps into spiritual formation is to believe that. It's to say, I know I don't always feel it, but feelings aren't facts. I believe you, my creator God. Right? Just to believe it. And from there, growth starts to happen. And another of those tools is simply memorizing Scripture. As I urge you to use those cards, right? You know, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Put them someplace, memorize that scripture. Get it into you. Rub it into your soul, right? Tattoo it onto your soul so you can never forget it. If you didn't get one on the way in, there's still a little stack over here. You can grab one on the way out. Um, And as Jen shared last week with us, she did a great job, by the way. I loved it. There are other practices which uh, enable us to submit ourselves to the Spirit's transformative hand. And I'm going to invite Lindley to come up and share one of those with us today. If you're, not, if you're new here, we just trained uh, 10 or 11 people in um, becoming spiritual mentors. Lindley and Jen are two of those people. And so I've asked each one every week to share uh, a spiritually formative practice. Sorry, so many things to gather. Okay, good. All right, so I just wanted to share a really recent and, again, practical example of spiritual transformation in my own life um, using a simple um, prayer contemplation tool that you guys can do too. I'm thinking about that Second Corinthians verse, the process of how we um, gaze on the Lord and the veil comes off our faces. Or in our Romans 12 passage, the first, the very first verse, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies, your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I just wanted to share a, a helpful tool you can um, practice for how we do this. How do we offer our bodies? This is our true and pleasing um, worship, to, act of worship to God. Um, and and notice that you have a role to play in that. Um, it's a it's a command verb. Offer. You have to do it. Um, obviously, God does the rest of it. <laughs> but I think it's cool that our our Creator God, that loves us so much, um, gives us a piece of the. Um, 
a, a piece of the story. We have a role to play in that. So a helpful way to offer yourselves, a helpful way to start the transformation process is just asking God, what needs to be transformed in me? It's a simple question. God, just show me, illuminate that for me. So we, off, we start this process of offering ourselves to Jesus first by silence and solitude, what Jen shared about last week. It has to be a quiet space of contemplation so you can hear from the Lord and then um, just consider um, your life in light of what you hear. So, so start with silence and solitude and ask God to illuminate a character quality, a relationship, or an action um, that needs transformation, and then feel the Lord's kind invitation into transformation to something better in and through him. This is not a shame-based practice where God says, oh, you messed this up. I mean, like, listen to that sermon. This is, this is your creator God saying, um, I want you to be more like me. He's inviting you into something better. So the visual I have where Jason used that example a lot of um, kind of like laying on a surgery or laying on the operating table. Um, yeah, so I, I think I always picture just kind of laying there in complete vulnerability and stillness and the spirit of God, the great physician, just hovering kind of over me. And you just give God permission to just search you and illuminate something to you that needs transformation. Um, the ancient spiritual fathers and mothers of our faith called this an examine. That's the fancier word for it, an examine. So sitting quietly, you go over your recent life happenings, and it's recommended to do this daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. Um, Daily, it can look like, you know, just taking a couple quiet minutes before you go to bed or before you start your day, and you just kind of rehearse, like, what happened today like you think about the good things that happened or the areas that were difficult for you or if you know there's a a sin that's illuminated to you or a hardship that you had and you just hold those before the lord let that be illuminated Um, if you're using the lectio divina booklets over there they're free for the taking there's a every saturday there's a weekly examine built into that where you just review your week like What's going on in my life? It's just a pause where you just consider, you offer yourself and your life before the Lord. So it's, that's a great thing. So as I did this practice, God illuminated a character quality of hurrying in me, impatience, rushing. Um, I noticed, you know, I'm rushing myself, my kids. I'm hurrying moments and things along just to get to other things that I'm also just hurrying through. Um, not because my schedule is particularly busy. I try to make it so that it's not. Um, I've done that on purpose. But I was hurrying. I realized God showed me because I just very, I so deeply value productivity to a fault where this is an idol of worthiness in my life. If I'm not productive, what's my value? If I haven't really had produced anything in the day, the week, the month, the year, the bi-yearly, whatever, however often you're doing this. Um, so God illuminated this as I went through and examined, you know, just considering my day and my week, I'm thinking like, oh, that's an unsavory character quality that I'm noticing more and more. Um, God, will you transform this in me? 
And God says, yes, because he wants us to be more like Jesus. He is there to help you. Um, so, and, and this is recent. This is like started, this came to my mind in the summer. So like I am still in a transformational process here just sharing with you. So um, one of the books that we were given, or we, we bought them, but we were recommended to get for our spiritual mentorship thing that we did. Uh, it's so long, the thing that we did. They're back there. This is um, by Adele Calhoun. It's the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. Um, so if, if you do an exam and something comes up for you, and we can talk about it more together. Um, we have tools like this. There's one back there. So share with Jason or come to the prayer room and let people pray for you. Like Do the transformation process in community. Um, I would love to to screenshot something for you from this book and give it to you. So, so this book's cool. You, you go, there's like a glossary of um, spiritual practices that help you in transformation process. So I'm hurrying and impatient. I look at it and there's pr- practices for slowing. That's what I need to practice. So I go in, I'm looking at slowing. Um, so that the desire in me would be to curb my addiction to busyness, to learn to savor the moment. Um, through slowing, the sacrament of the present moment is tasted to the full. And then there's scripture verses you can meditate on that have to do with like the, the area that you're working to transform, and then practical things that you can do. So tailor it to what works for you. So some suggestions to deliberately slow down is driving in the slow lane, getting enough rest, speaking more slowly, looking people in the eye, chewing slowly, sitting for longer at the dinner table, those kinds of things. So, um, you know, so it kind of prompts some, some thoughts for you. I'm like, okay, um, I can do some things. So, um, so I started driving in the right-hand lane. I started, uh, I took some apps off of my phone that were just like, wasting time and kind of making me feel like frantic. Um, put my phone down. Uh, I started asking follow-up questions to my husband and my kids when they wanted to share something with me. So I was really listening to them, not just like, okay, I hear it, let's move on. Like, okay, and obviously that still happens because like every single thing that people share with me, I'm not that interested in. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like just truth-telling. <laughs> um, okay, so, and, but I've noticed the more that I've practiced this, that I've held this character quality before the Lord um, and asked him to change me, the more I'm changing. That's great. That's what we want. I feel more patient with the people in my home, less digitally connected. I'm less concerned with household things that really don't matter as much as I was making them, and I'm also driving more safely. So it all started with the the practice of the examine, which is a great way to start the transformation process, the examine. Um, Jason even has like a worksheet with some question prompts that you can use as a journaling exercise if this is particularly interesting to you. Uh, we have Ava. There we go. Um, so J- email Jason if you want to do that. Use that Lectio Divina Church notebook where they have that examine activity um, built in. But just sit in silence and solitude. Do that now. Um, and through our first worship song, if you want, it's about being in the presence of God and letting that change you, which is really beautiful. So just sit, kind of picture yourself on that operating table and let God just illuminate something that, just pick one thing to start on. Um, the transformation process. Um, people are here to help you with this handy book um, or just conversations or prayer ministry. That's all I got, Jace. You're good. Thank you.